Welcome to Biz Banter, where we cover all the buzz and biz. I'm your host, Sage. Let's get into it. When you hear the word retirement, what crosses your mind? Maybe it's gray hair and grandkids, or spending your days on the golf course, or maybe it's knitting sweaters. More than likely, the image in your head is of you far, far in the future. But can you imagine retiring in your early 20s? Is that even possible? It definitely is, and in this episode, you'll be hearing from someone who's made this dream retirement age a reality. Rachel Richards is a best-selling author of Money Honey and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. She is a former financial advisor and a real estate investor with almost 40 units. Most impressively, at the age of 27, Rachel quit her job and retired, living off over $10,000 per month in passive income. She has helped thousands of millennials work their way out of financial despair. So how did Rachel go from being just another 20-something navigating life post-grad to being a best-selling author and retiring before 30? We're going to hear all about it from Rachel herself. Let's get into it. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me on, Sage. I'm excited to be here. We're so excited to have you on and talk all about how you retired at the age of 27, how you're a best-selling author, and all the other amazing things that you do. Um, So before we learn more about your journey, I always like to start out with a true or false game. So usually we discuss assumptions about entrepreneurs and stuff like that, but I wanted to discuss assumptions about money and have you debunk them for us. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah. So I want you to do, I'll read off a couple of assumptions uh, that some people have about money and I want you to tell me whether you think they're true or false and why. Okay. Let's do it. Okay, so the first one is, if you have enough money to cover your expenses, you do not need to budget. Ooh, I would say that's false. (laughs) Um, I think everyone needs to budget because if you don't budget, here's the risk that you run. I've I've done this before. Um, You run not really understanding where your money is going and then actually spending too much. And then your expenses could end up being more than your income. So I remember when I first started started tracking my expenses, because that's the first step in a budget. And I remember the first month I did this, this is super embarrassing to admit, but my husband and I realized we spent over $900 that month on food, like just on groceries, not on, not even on eating out. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's bigger than some people's mortgage payments. So you have to track your expenses so that you know where your money is going. I think Dave Ramsey once said, a budget is simply telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. That is such a good quote. And that's honestly, I think it's so important because especially if you're like a coffee drinker, those $5 coffees start adding up if you get them every day. So that's like a really good quote. I like that. Yeah. So the next one is investing is only for the rich. Oh, false. (laughs) Investing is for everyone and especially people that don't have as much maybe money to invest, um, it's even more important that they invest because that's the best way to grow your money in the long term. Everyone needs to invest. And I would say it's even more important for people to invest at a young age because time is your biggest advantage. And even if you don't have a ton of money and you don't pick the best investments, you will still be better off than an expert investor or a wealthy investor that waited 10 years from now to start investing. Yeah. And we're definitely going to be asking you later on uh, about some tips that you'd have about investing. So the next one is buying a home is always better than renting. False. 
there it because what if you buy a house and you sell it a year later um, which happens a lot in the military because because you're moved around a lot if that happens then oftentimes those commissions that you have to pay when you sell cause you to lose money on the overall investment so in money honey i give a general guideline it's general because everyone's circumstances are different but i always say if you're going if you're not going to keep the house for at least five years you could be better off to just rent good to know next one debit is always better than credit um i would say false because credit can be well first of all I would never have invested in all of the rental properties I invested in if I wasn't able to take out credit and to take out a loan on those properties. There's a lot of people that say pay all cash for everything. You know, Dave Ramsey's one of them. I love him. But if I had gone the debit route and basically and paid all cash for my rental properties, I would not be where I am today. So credit in that sense can allow you to leverage your money so that you can make those investments into rental property. Plus, I think as long as you can use credit wisely in terms of a credit card and pay the balance in full every single month and essentially treat it like a debit card, credit can be a good thing. You just have to make sure you're using it responsibly. That's the key right there to be responsible about how you're using it. All right. So last true or false question I have for you. If you're young, you don't have to think about retirement. False. You absolutely have to think about retirement. And here's the thing. I think we've operated under this, I'll call it the nest egg theory of retirement. This is where you save a ton of money. You, you, know, you work until you're 60, save a ton of money, and you accumulate this amount of money by age 60 or 65, and you live off of that for the rest of your life. Now that used to work really well for our parents and our grandparents, but times have changed a ton and that's just not going to work anymore because for example, pensions aren't common anymore. So we don't have that income in retirement. Uh, the most alarming thing is that the social security trust fund is projected to be fully depleted by the year 2035. So people our age are not even going to have social security unless something changes. And then of course the cost of college has placed an enormous burden on our generation. So this whole nest egg theory has become very, very hard to achieve. And in fact, millennials will need to accumulate at least $2 million by age 65 in order to retire. Now, I don't know about you, Sage, but I just don't know many multimillionaires, right? So that number sounds pretty daunting and overwhelming to me. And that's all the more reason we need to start thinking about it now. How are we going to save that amount of money? Or if we go the passive income route, how can we start to generate passive income now so that we have enough to retire off eventually? Awesome points. And we're going to be asking you about some advice about passive income a little bit later too. Uh, but before we do that, we want to learn more about you and your journey. So tell us about your career path leading up to becoming an author and retiring at the age of 27. Yes, so I graduated college um, and I became a, a financial advisor because I had some sales experience and I also love to help people with money. So I figured that would be a good career for me. Um, I didn't stick around with that for very long because really when you're starting out, you are cold calling and prospecting 99% of the time. And if you stick with it, it can be a very lucrative career, but I did not have the passion for it. I wanted to actually help people, not just make sales calls. So 
I went in, I did a couple little real estate stints. And then for the last three years, I was working as a finance analyst. But somewhere in there, I started writing Money Honey, which is my first book. And I wrote it because all my family and friends were coming to me for financial advice, and which was great because I'd love to help people. But I also began to wonder, well, why aren't they learning or reading books on their own? And then I realized, oh yeah, personal finance is boring. <laughs> it's complex, it's dull, it's intimidating. No wonder people don't like to learn about it. So I thought to myself, well, how can I make this topic sassy and fun and simple? And that's where the idea for Money Honey came from. So I started writing in 2017, published it that year, and it has been more successful than I ever would have imagined. Um, also that year, I started investing in rental properties. So so we had these two passive income streams, this rental income and this royalty income, and we focused on growing those as much as we possibly could over the next couple years. Last year, we got to the $10,000 a month mark in passive income. Um, I now, we now own almost 40 rental units and I have two best-selling books. And last year is when I was able to quit my job and retire. So that's a high level overview. <laughs> so, and going off of that, how do you define retirement? Because retirement can mean different things for different people. So what is retirement to you? Yes, I'm glad you asked because I use the words retired and financially independent interchangeably. Because a lot of people will look at me and they'll say, well, Rachel, you're not retired. You know, you're still working, you're running your course and you're doing work for your book business. And that's absolutely right. The thing is like I, some people want to retire and, you know, do the beach thing or, or whatever. And that's great. I just get bored really easily. So, and I'm only 28. I can't just like sit on a beach or do nothing for the rest of my life. I still have to have a purpose. So to me, financially independent and retired are, are interchangeable. It's the same thing. And really it means having the freedom to do whatever you want and to work when, where, and if you want. I like that. And so on those lines, describe a typical day in your life as a retiree. A typical day, so I don't set an alarm anymore, which has been the best thing <laughs> about quitting my job, but I still get up probably at 7 a.m. most days because the sun comes in my room and wakes me up, which is fine. Um, I'll normally do some work on my laptop, and maybe I'll have a podcast or a call that day, and um, I might do my social media or answer some people's questions on email. I try to kind of wrap up my work day in quotes <laughs> around two or 3 p.m. And then, you know, with my husband, we'll do a workout or we'll walk around the neighborhood or really just take the rest of the day to relax. That sounds awesome. And I know you're gonna convince a lot of people to start retiring early if they work towards it after hearing this for sure. So tell us about, we discussed a little bit about how you got into writing books, but were you always somebody that was really good at writing or how did that happen? And then also real estate, why real estate of all things? Yeah, so the writing thing, when I was a little kid, I would write short stories. And I, so I always loved to write and I was a strong writer academically throughout high school and college. So I think it was always this dream that I had. And I actually read a statistic recently that something like 82 or 84% of Americans want to write and publish a book. So I think it's on a lot of people's bucket lists. Um, the problem was the idea seemed very abstract. I didn't know where to begin. And I read this book called Published by Chandler Bolt, which is this really incredibly concrete guide about 
how to come up with an idea and outline and write and market and launch your book. So once I had that guideline, I was like, okay, I, I understand how to do this now. I understand the process. And that's what was able to help me get started. And the book really was a passion project for me. It wasn't something I was doing to make money or to create this big income stream. It was just something I felt compelled to do. And I think that's one of the reasons it was so successful, because I think if I was just out to make some quick money, people would have seen right through that. Um, but now I'm glad it's resonated so well because I can truly do what I'm passionate about, which is teaching young people about finance. So that's why I did that. And then rental properties, I think it's one of the best tools for building long-term wealth. I think every young person should own a rental property because it's not just about passive income. There's a lot of benefits. So first you have the passive income or the cash flow. Next, you have the equity buildup because your tenants are essentially paying your mortgage. And after 30 years, you own a property free and clear having only paid the down payment. Number three, you have the tax benefits of being, a, um, being the owner of a property. And then sometimes, I don't always count this, but as a bonus, sometimes the property can appreciate and that's even more value that you're getting. So I always wanted to invest in real estate. I, that was my intention before I had any of these other ideas. And um, I initially thought I was going to be investing in real estate and retire in my mid to late 30s. But once I got started with these passive income streams, it just happened a lot faster than that. That's awesome. And I know we discussed it a little bit, but your two books are Money Honey. Um, what is it? The Seven Step Guide? Yes. A simple seven step guide for getting your financial bleep together. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one is Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. So tell me a little bit about what's in each book. What can somebody that's reading each of these books expect to get out of them? So Money Honey is really for young people that are just starting out um, and really under want to understand how to literally get their financial bleep together. <laughs> That's my little tagline. So it talks about the basics of money management, budgeting, savings, debt, investing, taxes, and insurance. And then there's a strategy. And again, it just makes the topic sassy and fun and it's entertaining to read. So that's Money Honey. And then Passive Income Aggressive Retirement, I launched in 2019, and it outlines 28 different passive income models. So trust me when I say there is something out there for everybody. I interview several subject matter experts, and I it's basically a guide for how to start creating passive income. So that is what Passive Income Aggressive Retirement is about. Fantastic. And you know, I love that you said that you made Money Honey specifically a fun book because I feel like that's so important. It's, it's not fun to read a massive textbook and try to understand stuff. So I think when things are made a lot more digestible, it's a lot more fun and they also make a lot more sense. So I really like that's kind of what you've gone with that. So I love that. Thank you. I just thought, you know, there's all the finance books out there are written by older white men and we need <laughs> to have some younger female voices in the mix, right? <laughs> That's fantastic. So, and you know, about that. So why were you compelled to live a life with financial independence? So did you have some personal experiences that made you feel like, okay, I really need to be financially independent or what, why was that so important to you? I think I've always been attracted to the idea of being my own boss and being in complete control of my time and my location. That's the biggest motivator for me. I didn't want to have to go into a cubicle and work a nine to five every day. I wanted to work wherever I wanted to work and on my own hours. 
And most bosses just don't give you the flexibility to do that. Now, I think we're moving towards that with work remote, especially with the COVID crisis and everything. I think that's going to open up a lot more doors to people for people to have flexibility, which I think is great. So that was part of it. And then I had an experience working for a boss that made her employees cry on a regular basis. Okay, so she was a bully and she was really, really condescending and mean. And I, when I worked for her, I was maybe 23 or 24. So I was really young. Um, I'm just a non-confrontational person and I'm probably not the best at standing up for myself or being assertive in the ways that I need to be. So there were so many times where she would just come in and speak to me so just in a belittling manner, make me feel so stupid. She'd yell at her employees and they'd like cry. And she made me cry probably twice, unfortunately. <laughs> but one of these times when I went to the bathroom, I just remember looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, I am never going to let an employer treat me like this again. And I wanted to have the power to quit my job and to be on my own. So that's where part of the motivation came from as well. That's awesome. And you know, that's really good that you kind of found a fuel to keep you going um, towards your journey of achieving financial independence. So did you always know you knew you wanted to be financially independent, but did you know you wanted to be financially independent at a young age always? I think it was always a goal, but I didn't know how quickly it could happen. And here's the thing too. I don't think I became serious about it until I launched my book and my book did so well because I think a lot of us get too caught up in the getting away from something. You know, we want to quit our job. We want to retire early and be our own boss. And so we focus so much on that that we don't think about, well, what am I working towards? You know, what am I going to do in retirement? Um, because a lot of people struggle with achieving early retirement or financial independence and then feeling as if they've lost their purpose and what are they going to do for the rest of their life? So it wasn't until I launched my books, they did well, and I really had this passion for helping people with finance and realized I could really build a business out of it and spend my time on it. And that's when I became excited to actually go through with quitting my job. Because up until then, I think it had just been a dream and a little bit more abstract. And now I, I get to spend my time doing what I love, which is really, really fun. Yeah, that's really, truly a blessing. And, you know, Besides or asides from the actual nine to five, having terrible boss, what are some things that you learned from your role as a financial advisor that have helped you today as an author and a real estate entrepreneur? Um, I would say, you know, it was one of the things I learned because I was a financial advisor at age 21. So imagine a young 21 year old woman trying to convince older people, you know, with hundreds of thousands of dollars to invest with her. <laughs> And that was a very good experience that I had because I realized at a young age that it's going to be a little bit harder for people to take me seriously because I am a young woman and that's just the reality. And I had to learn to overcome imposter syndrome on several occasions, especially when I was writing my book because I was saying things to myself like, who do you think you are, Rachel, to write this book on finance? And why would anyone care? Why would anyone listen to you? And your writing is crap. <laughs> and so I had to learn to sort of push that self-doubt aside and understand, yeah, I might not be everyone's cup of tea, but if I can just help one person, that's all I want to do. So that was a great learning lesson for me just to have a little bit more self-confidence and be assertive and be able to talk to people 
in a manner where I was speaking from authority and from experience and really help them with their money. So that's a little bit more abstract. Um, I learned a ton about, you know, actual money management and finance and investing and really saw up close the difference it makes when you invest at a young age with finance versus people that wait until later in their life to invest. And that's the most important thing when it comes to investing is time. So the younger you can start, the better you will do. So knowing what you know now, do you think it is a good idea for everyone or for many people to actually give a corporate nine to five a shot? Because, you know, in, I think in today's day and age, there's a lot more opportunity to be your own boss, whether, you know, you're an influencer or an entrepreneur, there's so many more opportunities for you to, from the get go, do your own thing. But do you personally feel getting that experience working for someone else actually helps you a lot in your own journey if you do choose to do something else on your own later? I do. I think the experience was important in my personal journey, and I think it can be really beneficial for other people as well. Um, You know, I always tell people there's this advice that's given I disagree with, and it's that you should take a leap of faith and quit your job and the net will appear. (laughs) And I don't agree with that because you don't want to quit your job and take a leap of faith if you're not even generating money from your side hustle or from your business, because then you're going to be operating out of a place of panic or desperation. And that's not what you want. So the corporate job in many ways can be a great safety net for you to then go out and explore all the things that you do want to do. And the other thing is the corporate um, atmosphere works for a lot of people. Some people are truly fulfilled by their career and happy with it. My sister is one of them. She's a postpartum nurse. And I once asked her, like, what would you do if you won the lottery? And she was like, I would still be a postpartum nurse. Like, I love my job. (laughs) I was like, that's so cool. So it's certainly not for everyone to try to quit their job or retire early. I think you just need to know yourself and what your goals are and what your values are. That's a really good point. So I like that you said also kind of creating or, you know, playing it safe, because I think sometimes you're made to feel like truly, okay, if you want to do something, just drop everything else you're doing and just go for that one thing. But I do think you can plan for certain things. So how did you personally plan for this change? So going from idea that I want to be financially independent, I want to write books. How did you actually execute it? My initial plan was to retire 100% from real estate. So my plan was to buy a single family house every year for 15 years, all on 15 year mortgages. And that way, after that 15 year period, I would be able to retire because all of those mortgages would start to be paid off and the cash flow would be a lot higher. So that was my initial plan. And I think what I did well with that is that I went on, I created a spreadsheet and I outlined how I thought all the numbers were gonna work. I outlined what I thought my budget was gonna look like in, re- in retirement factored in inflation, looked at what my projected revenues would be, and I figured out a way to make it work. Now, in reality, it happened a lot faster than that, but I think that's something that everyone can do is really project, I mean, treat it like a business plan, project out your expenses and your revenues and your cash flows and make sure it's going to work. Um, Also, I didn't quit my job until I fully replaced my full-time income. Now, I'm not saying everyone should do that because for some people, maybe they just want to get to $1,000 a month in income or $3,000 a month in income before they quit their full-time job. But for me, I just wanted to have that extra sense of security of knowing I was making that amount of money. So I would also say to have an income number in mind as a goal and don't quit until you get to that number. 
And what are some tools or resources that were helpful for you when it came to building or scaling your venture? So of course, kind of planning it out. I know you mentioned a book that you had read that helped you when it came to publishing your books, but what are other things that really helped you? Um, so in terms of the rental properties, there's a book I recommend to everybody. It's called Hold by Steve Chater, and I think the McKissicks are also co-authors. And that was a really great resource for me to learn how to pick a rental property, how to analyze the cash flow, how to find good tenants, everything. So that was a great resource. And then in terms of more like business management stuff, there are two things I was introduced to this year that have totally changed how I manage my planning and my to-do list and my calendar. And the first one is the bullet journal. Have you heard of the bullet journal by any chance? Yes. I don't know much about it, but I have heard of it. I think it gets like a bad rap online because when the, what I had heard of it is just people making these elaborate layouts and all these like fancy spreads. And I'm not creative enough for that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't have time for that, <laughs> but I read the book, the bullet journal method. And it's really not about that at all. It's just a really flexible way where you can keep track of your calendar and your task list. And for some reason, like I've tried hundreds of other things, but for some reason this has worked for me where other things haven't. So I love that. I take it wherever I go. And then the other thing that has helped me to strategize and create goals and stick to them is the 12 week year. So it's a book and it basically says, it shows you how to achieve more in a 12 week period than most people do in a year. So it treats each 12 week period as its own year. And every week is sort of like a month and every day is sort of like a week, I guess. Um, but it's really cool because it's helped me have quarterly goals and have like an annual vision and plan. And I have achieved way, way more just be having that strategy and having that outline than I would have otherwise. I feel like that definitely makes things seem a lot more fast paced. So I can, sh I'm sure if you actually do utilize those tools and do it properly, then it could definitely expedite things for you too. Um, but let's go back to the bullet journal for a second. So explain what it is in more detail for anyone that doesn't know what a bullet journal is and how do you personally use it? So a bullet journal, it's a pretty much a blank journal and it has little dots that kind of help you keep things organized, but you basically have a monthly spread and so you write down the calendar for the month and all the things you want to do each month and it's all customizable so you can make it however you want it to work for you um, and then each day you there's just a method for listing out what you want to get done for the day and then checking it off or not checking it off and one of the things that has you do is if you don't get something done that day you have to write it down again the next day and add it back to your task list and that seems really tedious but the point is after enough times of doing that, you're either going to realize, A, it doesn't need to be done because you keep pushing it off and you keep procrastinating it. So maybe you can just eliminate it. Or B, you're so sick of rewriting it down over and over again that you're finally going to just do it so that you can check it off. So it's just a system that has worked really well for me and I'm very grateful to have it. I like that. It's kind of like in your face till you actually do it. So that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so what were some unexpected hurdles that you faced? Because, you know, Things have happened for you very quickly, but I feel like no journey is ever super smooth. So what are some hurdles or challenges that you have faced as an author or in real estate or in work or in life in general um, that you've had to overcome? Oh my gosh, I could talk for hours about the obstacles and mistakes that I've made. There's so many. Um, I already touched a little bit on the imposter syndrome with writing my book, but basically, you know, when I first started writing Money Honey, the words came 
came pouring out of me. It was very exciting. And then four months in, I quit writing the book. And it wasn't just to take a break. I had no intention of ever picking it back up again. Because what I was telling myself by that time is, you know, this is going to be an embarrassment if you go through with it. And who do you think you are again? So I quit writing. It was just such severe self-doubt. Luckily, I, I had lunch with a friend who kind of asked me about it and she encouraged me to get back on track. And thank goodness she did because Money Honey has now truly changed the lives of thousands of female millennials. And I receive emails every week from people thanking me that I did it and that I wrote the book and that it's changed their life. So it's so humbling and I'm just grateful that I went through with it because you, you never know how the impact you have how that could impact another person. You just never know. So I think it's important to use your unique gift to help other people whenever you can. So that was a big hurdle. Um, with real estate, there was a big <laughs> mistake we made in hiring a property manager where we didn't go with a property management company. We went with some individuals that had already been doing some work for us and some maintenance and repair on our properties. And we hired them as our property managers. And then six months later, they disappeared one day. And my husband went to collect the rent from the lockboxes and noticed there was a lot of rent missing and um, not just the normal tenant paying late. So we called them. Of course, they're not answering. It turns out that weekend they stole $6,000 in rent money. And we found out that they had been squatting in vacant rooms and units on our properties for almost a year. Wow. It was awful. I mean, I can laugh about it now because it's funny. Uh, but in hindsight, I just think to myself, man, I'm, we were so stupid to hire those people. Like, what were we thinking? You know, it feels like a very amateur mistake, but I share it because I hope that others can learn from my mistake. Because the moral of the story is don't be cheap when it comes to your property manager. Hire the company that's licensed, bonded, and insured. And that's been doing this for a long time. Because if we had gone with that company and their employees had done that to us, they would have been liable for the damages, not us. So that was a big lesson learned from the real estate perspective. And then one more just from general being an entrepreneur. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with burnout which can manifest into many different things. Um, for me, when I quit my job, I had this fear that I was going to be sleeping all day and lazy and not doing anything productive. And I guess I didn't know myself very well because the opposite happened. And I became this workaholic and I was working 80 hour weeks again <laughs> because when I quit my job, I went from having these very clear boundaries. I went into work and I worked and then I came home and work was over. And when you're on your own or working from home, those boundaries get a little more fuzzy. You don't have a clear start and end to your day. Plus the work I was doing was fun. I didn't see it as work at all. So I could have 12 hours of helping people with finance and working on my books. And I'd feel like, oh my gosh, I just had a great day. So that really caused me to be burnt out which ended up leading into anxiety and, and later depression. Um, and this was at the end of 2018 when I was really struggling with it. Um, definitely the hardest thing that I've personally gone through. Very, very hopeless feeling, feeling like I don't feel like myself and I don't know if I'm ever going to feel like myself again. So really scary place to be. Um, I had, I learned many lessons from that. So I'm still grateful to have the experience because I've grown a lot because of it. But I now have to be very protective of my time, really um, 
take care of my mental health, you know, do things for me like meditation and affirmations and gratitude and journaling and make sure that I am prioritizing myself over everything else. So that is probably the biggest lesson I have learned so far. And, you know, the current situation that we're in right now with the pandemic, working from home and being remote is new for a lot of people. So there's a lot of people that don't necessarily have boundaries right now, whether it's coming from their work or just from themselves being in a new environment and it does impact your mental health. So as someone that's done it already before, what advice do you have to people that are newly transitioning into this work environment? Yeah. And I think this is impacting a lot of people, this transition. It's difficult. I think a lot of people are struggling with anxiety and depression right now, more so than before COVID happened. Um, even myself, you can't see this now, but I have a boot on my ankle because I just had surgery like a week and a half ago. And so I was sort of on bed rest for a week. And just those few days in bed where I wasn't able to do anything, like put me back in a really negative state of mind. And I could see how that was impacting my mental health. And I was like, okay, this is not good. I, you know, I'm not meant to lay around in bed for multiple days on end. But something that helps me is having a structure. And even if you don't have any Zoom calls or conference calls that day, still get out of bed and put on an outfit. Because my mistake is like staying in my pajamas for way too long, multiple days on end, right? And not putting on an outfit. And I think just, you know, kind of presenting yourself more professionally, even if no one's going to see you and putting on your outfit can just make you feel a little bit more in control of your day. So that's something small that I think everyone could do. That's awesome. And, you know, that's a really great point. I think athleisure sales have gone up a lot, but definitely still try to take care of yourself um, during this situation and always, of course. Um, so, Next, we want to learn from you. You have a lot of knowledge. So I have a lot of questions, um, some that we've actually gotten from other people. So we've sent, we've gotten some questions that have been sent in and we're going to learn a little bit from you and get some advice from you on some various financial topics. So awesome. the first one is what are your best tips for getting rid of student debt? Oh, I love this. Okay. So there's a few factors at your disposal here. Um, one thing that's easy to do, and it's not going to necessarily work in every situation, but is to consider student loan debt consolidation. And there's a lot of platforms and companies that do this. There's Earnest and there's SoFi. I think it's SoFi or Sophie. I don't know how to pronounce it. LendKey, I think maybe another one. Um, but the mistake I see people make when they consolidate their student loans is that they see that they're going to get this lower monthly payment and they're like, oh, this is great. I'm going to save money. But in reality, a lot of times they're getting a lower monthly payment because the term of the loan has been extended. And so it's just been spread out over more years. That's why the lower payment is there. So that is really, really bad because when it comes down to it, you're going to end up paying a lot more money in interest if you extend the term length of the loan. So what you really want to do when you consolidate your student debt is keep the original term length the same and get a lower interest payment. That's the only way you're ultimately going to save money. So I would absolutely look into doing that. Um, besides having a lower interest payment, it can just consolidate things into one single payment to make it a little bit more easy to manage instead of having four different payments from four different loans. So that's something I would consider doing. And then the other thing, this is more of a general finance tip. But when I ask people, or when people ask me, you know, how can I save money quickly? Or how could I pay off debt quickly? I always 
then turn around and ask them, well, yeah, if you're trying to save money in a short amount of time, what sorts of things do you do? And when, and when I ask this in workshops, people will say, well, I'll eat out less and I'll stop shopping and I'll make my coffee at home. So those types of things. And those answers are great. I noticed a common theme in those answers, which is that we're all focused on decreasing our expenses. And that's important because we absolutely need to keep our spending in line and we can't be living above our means. But the thing is, there's a limit to that. There's only so much you can do to decrease your expenses. You can't stop buying food. You can't negotiate your mortgage or rent. So it's a little bit limited. There's two ways you can save more money or pay off debt aggressively. Number one is to decrease your expenses. And number two is to increase your income. And for some reason, we just never automatically go to this second option. But increasing your income is great because there's no cap on how much money you can make in a year. There's nothing stopping you from making more money. So if you really want to make an impact on your budget or with your student loans, then make sure you're, do you're doing both, decreasing your expenses and increasing your income. Love that. Um, and any tips on improving your credit score? I guess this kind of goes with the debt theme a little bit. So do you have any tips on that? Yeah, there's a couple factors at play with your credit score. One of them is your credit utilization. So this means how much of your total credit limit are you using? So if your credit limit is $5,000 and you're using up all $5,000 of that, meaning you're carrying that balance, that's not going to look good on your credit. So if you can pay those balances down and pay off some of that credit, um, if it's like a credit card, pay off some of those balances, that will help your credit utilization to be a lot lower and that will improve your credit score. Also, lenders want to see a mix of different types of credits. Now, by no means should you go out and get a car loan or, you know, get a mortgage just to improve your credit score, but it's just something to keep in mind. Um, and then, you know, the biggest thing that will take a hit to your credit score is a late payment or a missed payment. So if you have any on your current credit report, I would say call that credit company directly. If it's a credit card, a bank, whatever it is, call them directly, apologize, say, hey, I'm working on paying these late payments and getting caught back up. Can you work with me? You know, are you willing to remove this derogatory comment from my credit? And a lot of times they will, especially if you approach them the right way. So get, get those late payments paid, get caught back up so that you're not late, and that will increase your credit score, credit score dramatically. And I love that you said that because, you know, I feel like there's no harm in asking. So it's always a good idea if you are late to just reach out and see, you know, the worst answer is no. So it's always worth trying. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so as a financial advisor, you definitely have recommended investing to some of the clients that you had. So what are your best tips when it comes to investing and how can someone that is new to investing learn more about it? So the biggest thing when it comes to investing is there's two sort of thoughts on how to invest. And some people choose to do active investing. And that's where they day trade or they invest in individual stocks or they invest in mutual funds because mutual funds are basically a collection of individual stocks and it's managed by a team of analysts and researchers. So you'd think, oh yeah, well, if I invest in this mutual fund, I'll make more money because all these professionals are managing it. That's what you'd think. Um, you're also paying a higher fee to invest in a mutual fund because you have to pay for all those professionals. Now, on the other hand, there's passive investing, and that's where you invest in something called an index fund. An index fund is a group of individual stocks, but it tracks to something that's already been created. It's more automatic. 
there's no managers making investment decisions. It's sort of like set up on an algorithm automatic. And so you'd think, man, well, I'd make more money from the mutual fund than the index fund. But research has shown time and time again that passive investors make just as much money, if not more than active investors. So the biggest thing to learn is that passive investing can still make as much money as active investing and you're paying a lower fee. And that's what I always start educating people on first. So I invest only in index funds. And there's a type of index fund called an ETF, which is an exchange traded fund. And it has an even lower fee. So it's like the lowest fee you can possibly get. It's very passive. And that's what I invest in. Now investing, you have to remember that it's meant for the long term only. Okay, in the short term, you will 100% lose money. Okay, because the stock market goes up and down in the short term. But in the long term, if you look at a graph of, for example, the Dow Jones over the history of its lifetime, it goes up consistently. So the biggest thing to understand is that you have to stay invested for the long term. And if the market goes down, do not panic and do not sell your investments because that's the biggest mistake investors make is that a recession happens or the stock market dips, people panic and they sell. But the best thing to do is stay invested, maybe even invest more money and stay invested for the long term. So, you know, on the topic of investing in stocks, is there such a thing as like, I wouldn't say like a safe bet, but a good bet in terms of industries to invest in like technology or pharma is what do you think about that? So my personal investing strategy isn't so much based on industries, but more so the size of the companies. So when you're looking at mutual funds or index funds, you can invest in something called small cap, medium cap or large cap companies. And it means small, um, Small cap is for, you know, startups, companies you probably haven't heard of. Large cap are things like Apple and Google and Microsoft, companies that are very well established. So I generally make the, invest in a mix of those three, not necessarily industry related. But I would say if I was going to invest in an industry, like any industry right now, it would be healthcare. Because I think healthcare is something that is only going to increase in the long run. Yeah, and we can see just how important healthcare is, especially given the current situation. So I'm yeah. sure that would always be a good bet. So we talked about real estate a little bit earlier and investing in it. You specifically mentioned rental properties. So for someone just starting out, is that what you think is the best bet? Or are there other kinds of properties that you think are good uh, when it comes to real estate investing? So there's two ways to invest in real estate. There is the rental properties, which is where you buy a rental, you hold onto it for the long term, you rent it out and you're making the cash flow. And then there's flipping. So this is where you buy a house that's in really bad shape, you renovate it and then you sell it for a profit. And flipping can be a great way to make a lot of money quickly. Um, but for me personally, I wanted that cash flow. I wanted the passive income so I could retire. And I, I still think rental income, rental properties is a better tool for building long-term wealth rather than flipping properties over and over. But it just depends on everyone's goals. So those are two things to consider. Now, when you're getting into rental properties, there's single family homes. So that's just a normal house that a family would live in or somebody would live in. And there's multifamily properties. So that could be a duplex, which has two units, a triplex, which has three, a quad, it could be an apartment building, anything with more than one unit. And I think either one is great. As long as the numbers work, they work. But I do think that multifamily can be 
a little bit better in some ways because I think it's less volatile to ups and downs in the real estate market. Normally single family homes are bought kind of on an emotional level because most people that are investors, um, you know, they might not be buying single family homes. It could just be a normal family looking for a primary residence. So they tend to be a little bit more affected by ups and downs in the real estate market. Whereas multifamily, really those are only bought by investors. And because sometimes those properties are value based on their income producing abilities, I think that those um, values can be less volatile. So I like multifamilies for that reason. Another reason I like it is because if you have one vacancy or one tenant that's not paying rent, you still have other tenants in the building that are paying rent. So that means in a given month, you are less likely to have to carry the mortgage on your own. So you might have a little bit of a dip in income, but you still have other units that are bringing in money. So I prefer multifamily, but I um, single family homes can also work. Awesome. Um, so changing the topic a little bit, uh, in your latest book, so we discussed it a little bit earlier, Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement, you dive deep into passive income. So explain exactly what passive income is and share some of the streams of income that you recommend. And I believe in your book, you cover a lot. I'm thinking the number is 28. Yes. yes. Okay. So explain that to us a bit. Yes. So in the book, I talk about 28 passive income streams. Um, and to start off to define passive income, the way I define it is, is that it's money earned with little to no ongoing effort. Is it a get rich quick scheme? Absolutely not. Passive income takes time or money to create. So you do have to invest something to get it going. And then once you have the passive income created, it becomes a lot more hands off. And the epiphany I had several years ago was, hey, once your passive income exceeds your living expenses, you're retired, you're financially independent. And that's what I started working towards. Because in my opinion, it felt a lot easier to create five or six or $8,000 a month in passive income than it did to try to save $2 million by age 65. So I think passive income is more attainable. Anyone at any age and on any income can generate passive income. So right now I have, I personally have four passive income streams. So I'll just talk about those as an example. Um, I've already talked about my rental income in any normal month. I make anywhere from eight to $12,000 in profit from my rentals. Then I have my book royalty income. And in February, I just had my first $7,000 month in book profits. And then I have my online course is my third passive income, which I kind of count in the royalty income category. Um, I just launched it, so it's hard to say how much I'll be making long term, but probably one or $2,000 a month. And then my fourth passive income stream is something called print on demand. And this is a really cool way to make passive income. When you think about selling a normal product or opening a boutique, you normally have to carry a lot of inventory, right? You have to buy all the products so that you can then sell them. And that carries a lot of risk because what if something doesn't sell? Then you're stuck with this inventory that you can't sell. There's a lot of financial risk. With print on demand, it takes the financial risk out of it because you're only creating these products as they are sold. So you don't even make the product until it sells. And basically there's a lot of platforms that have products like t-shirts and mugs and tank tops and tote bags, and you create the designs to go on them. And then you're paid a royalty only if they sell. 
So it's great because there's no financial risk and you don't even touch the product. So that's called print on demand. That's our fourth passive income stream. Um, we're only making two or 300 bucks a month from it. So it's not super substantial for us, but it is truly 100% passive. So it's been a fun extra income stream for us. That's awesome. And I think that's something that people can easily get into. So maybe if investing or real estate is a little bit later down the line, I think print on demand is definitely something that is, um, I guess, easier to start with, if you would say. Yeah, for sure. And I think when you're starting to create passive income, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, do I have more time or do I have more money? Because you need one or the other or both to create the passive income stream. And that's where you can narrow it down. If you have more money then something like rental income or portfolio income could work for you. But if you have more time and you don't really have money, then I think royalty income is a great place to start. You know, writing, self-publishing a book, um, doing the print on demand, creating things like that that don't require a lot of money. Awesome. So we just covered four passive streams of income. For the other 24, you guys are going to have to check out Rachel's book. <laughs> um, so the next question is about budgeting. So we discussed budgeting a little bit earlier on. It's super important. So what are some tips that you recommend for someone that is kind of entry level when it comes to budgeting? Yeah, I, I think it just goes back to starting to track your expenses. That's where it starts. Don't try to set a crazy strict budget right from the get-go because I don't know about you Sage but I've done this many times and then I, of course I overspent and felt like a total failure and it was very discouraging <laughs> so don't set yourself up for failure with this super strict unrealistic budget start by just tracking your expenses to see what where your spending is going in the first place and then trust me it will be very clear where to cut back it will be very obvious after 30 days of tracking, you'll look at it and you'll be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I spend that much money in that category. And you'll naturally just put a budget into place from there. Um, something also to keep in mind, another budgeting tip, don't forget about those annual expenses. So things like a uh, annual fee on a credit card or membership to Costco or your car registration each year. Those are annual expenses that will come up. So I recommend listing out all of those annual expenses and how much they are, dividing that by 12, and essentially budgeting that amount each month. And some months it'll be over and some months it'll be under, but it'll give you a good baseline to keep track of those annual expenses. I like that. And that's like a really good point because I think we forget about some stuff that's recurring like that just because it's like you got auto pay on, you're not really thinking about it. So that's a good point. Do you personally, so when it comes to budgeting, I've seen some interesting stuff where people might only use cash and then they put an envelope. So this is how much I'm spending on food. This is how much I'm spending on transport. And then they just stick that cash in an envelope and carry that instead of using a credit card. So do you have some kind of things that you specifically do when it comes to budgeting or any recommendations for someone yes. starting out? So I love the envelope system. I think Dave Ramsey is the one who came up with that and it's brilliant. I've seen so many people use that very successfully. And I think when you are living paycheck to paycheck or you just have debt that feels out of control, I think that that envelope system can be a great place to start when it comes to a budget because it forces you to pay for everything with cash. Um, personally, I use my own Excel spreadsheet and that is because I am a total type A control freak <laughs> and I wanted to be able to see things exactly the, the way I wanted to see them. So I have my own customizable template that I use, but other apps that I would recommend, I talk about Mint in Money Honey and Mint is a free 
expense tracking tool essentially. So the way it works is you link all of your bank accounts, credit cards, and debit cards to Mint, and Mint will pull all of your transactions into one centralized location. So that makes it very easy to see where your money is going. And Mint is free. You can use it on your phone. You can use it on the computer. So that's a great place to start that will make it very easy. I've also heard amazing things about the app called YNAB, which stands for You Need a Budget. And it does cost some money. Maybe it's like seven bucks a month, something like that. And I know it has a pretty big learning curve, but my readers who have used it and have really gotten used to it have said that it has totally changed their life. So that is also another tool to consider. Awesome. And, you know, we've just learned so much just from talking uh, to you right now. So I really want everyone to check out this book because I think it's going to be fantastic. So we learned a lot. I want to talk to you a little bit more about you now as we start wrapping up. So now that you're retired, what keeps you fulfilled? I still have this passion of just helping young people with finance because it's so unfortunate that at no point in our lives are we taught how to manage our money and then we're left as young adults to figure it out all on our own. And I am a female millennial, so I relate to, to that group the most. But what I've seen amongst my friends and people that are younger than me is that they grow up and they have these feelings of guilt and shame and despair about their financial situation. And that's really what causes me pain to hear because in a way, it's really not their fault. They weren't given the resources they need to succeed. So to hear that all these negative feelings are happening, especially for, for women around this idea of money management, that's a shame. And that's why I'm so passionate about what I do. So that's what fulfills me to this day. It's trying to help people, trying to impact people, continuing to write and create content so that I can make this topic a lot easier to understand. So you, I would consider to be a very active retiree, but if you were to discover a new passion, um, that would mean that you have to kind of come out of retirement. Would you consider doing that? Oh, that's interesting. I don't, I don't know if I ever got an offer where I could work as much or little as I want from wherever I wanted, then potentially. <laughs> so maybe, but you know, I have, um, I have non-business passions too. So some, some things that I like to do, especially now that we live in Colorado, I'm an avid hiker. So we spend a lot of our free time now hiking and going on trails and climbing mountains and it's a lot of fun. And then my other big passion is traveling. Now we're not gonna be able to do a lot of that this year, at least not internationally, but something we've talked about doing next year is taking 12 months and maybe getting an RV or a travel trailer and just exploring the United States. So I don't know if there's anything that would pull me away from that, but I'm open to it. <laughs> That's fantastic. And you know what? If, if you always stay like this, I totally wouldn't blame you because you have the life already. So what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? I would say the best piece of advice. Um, well, I'll do a twist on that because there's a piece of advice that was given to me that I don't agree with. And it was that you should say yes to every opportunity that comes your way. The thing is, I agree with that to an extent. When you're starting out your business or your side hustle or whatever you're doing, you definitely need to you know, lean in and say yes to every opportunity because you want to get yourself out there and you want to hustle early on. But there comes a point in your business where if you keep doing that, you will really hurt yourself. Mm 
because all of a sudden you're going to have so many requests and so many opportunities coming your way. You won't have time to do all of them. And if you try, you will suffer. And that's part of the mistake I made with my burnout and my anxiety and everything. Um, so you really have to recognize that point and be very protective of your calendar because if not, your calendar is going to fill up with everyone else's priorities but your own and that's not a fun place to be at all so learning to say no is one of the most powerful things you can do as an entrepreneur i love that put yourself first that's so important so we are about to wrap up before we do we're going to do like a semi rapid fire depending on how rapid you want to be um so it's our quick take i'm going to ask you some questions and i just want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind when you hear them Okay. So what gets you out of bed every morning? My dog and husband. <laughs> <laughs> What's your dog's name? Chloe. Chloe, that's cute. She's the love of my life. Well, my <laughs> husband is too, but. <laughs> what is your hustle anthem? So like a song that you just blast that gets you in the mood to hustle. Oh my gosh. I, I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. So I can't think of like a specific song though. And you know what are, is it, how do you say Sia? Is it Sia or Sia? You know the singer? I say Sia. I, I didn't Sia? even know people okay. pronounce it a different way than that. <laughs> I'm probably saying it wrong, but she has several songs that get me going. Like bird, me, something about birds. I'm so bad. I can't <laughs> think of any music names off the top of my head. <laughs> That's awesome. So just anything that gets you all pumped up. Yeah. So if you had to delete all but three apps on your phone, which three apps would you keep? Oh God, that's the worst. That's the worst question because <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I mean, I would probably keep my email and probably Facebook and Instagram. And I hate that, but for me, it's a necessary <laughs> evil because I market my business on them. So like, I can't get rid of them. Email, so probably Facebook, them. and Instagram. Ugh. Those are pretty standard. I feel like, I feel like a lot of people would say that's what they would keep. So, yeah. you know, pretty much going with the theme there. What <laughs> is a quote that you live by? Um, there's this quote by Zig Ziglar and how does it go? You don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Agreed. Baby steps gets you there. Yes. All right. So if you could have the most expansive network in the world, meaning that you have access to literally anybody, or you could have unlimited funding for any venture that you start, but you can only choose one of those things, which one would you choose? Oh my God. <laughs> I would probably say the network. And I, I probably wouldn't have used to, I wouldn't say that in the past because money used to feel like this thing that was this obstacle and I never had enough money, but I've been able to really switch my mindset into one of more abundance where I, I really feel like I can go out and make more money if I want to. Um, so I, I think having the network would be more valuable to me. I completely agree with that. If you could co-author a book with anyone in the world, who would it be? Oh my gosh, that'd be so cool. I, I think I'd probably say Tim Ferriss because I'm a huge oh, Tim yeah. Ferriss fan. <laughs> and I think that'd be so fun. That would be cool. All right. Last question. What advice would you give to your younger self? Um, I would say this is, I feel like this is what everyone says, but it's so true. <laughs> it's just to like slow down and enjoy things a little bit. And it's not always about achieving the next goal or getting to the next thing. Cause if that's all you're focused on, you're just not going to be happy and you have to learn how to 
enjoy the journey as well. I know it sounds cliche, but it is so true. <laughs> so, so true. Well, Rachel, it was a pleasure having you on. I learned so much. I'm sure everybody else did too. Thank you so much for being on today. Yes. And thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. You can learn more about our guests through the details in this episode's description. For more content and the latest on all things BizBanter, follow us on Instagram at BizBanter or visit BizBanter.com. See you next time.